0: Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au We have started a new sermon series just last week, one on two Samuel. Uh, God always provides, God always does provide He never fails, He never fails to that Hoping you've uh, read through those chapters leading up to today's talk We actually are taking a large chunk of the Bible So it's really important when I send that email out to do that pre-reading Otherwise you might feel a little bit, well where are we going here? Um, it's really helpful For those who are not here for, the, here for the first time We will try and fill you in as best we can as we uh, go through this Taking a large chunk today of uh, the early part of Samuel Okay, just to start us off, though, in the 1970s, probably around 1970, 71, Lucille Ball, who knows Lucille Ball? You're revealing your age now, some of you people. The actress famous for her, I love... Lucy Show gave an interview about life in the USA, so back in 1970, 71, she was asked a question about the state of the community and how it was actually going in the United States at that particular time. Question being, Lucy, why do you think America is suffering and going backwards at the moment? That was said back in 1970, mind you. Lucille Ball answered this, Papa is missing. We're missing our papas. They're not on the scene now. Amazing what Lucille Bell said back in 1970. She was saying this, fathers have gone missing. They're failing to lead and their families are falling apart. That's why America's going down the chute. Now, she said that back in 1970. Imagine if she was alive today, what she would say about today's current state of affairs. Anyway, today we're going to step into Samuel and we're going to see something very similar here as we unpack these early chapters of Samuel. It's a leadership crisis that's taking place both in a spiritual dynamic and also a family dynamic as well, where there's failure that is actually being, becoming catastrophic for Israel at this particular time. So if you've got your Bibles, please go to 1 Samuel, of course. And we are going to read from chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said to him, and he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle on that day. I will fulfill against Eli all that I' have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, and I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of eli 's house Shall, be atoned for by sacri- shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until the morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Bathsheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for this uh, unbelievable opportunity to open up your word. We ask and pray now, Holy Spirit, let your word speak into our hearts as we see the failure of Israel, but we see your grace still coming through. We ask, Holy Spirit, please bring this word alive in our hearts now, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are stepping through 1 and 2 Samuel, and we're seeing the Lord provide for his purposes and plans in bringing about a saviour to rescue us from our broken lives and particularly also to rescue Israel ultimately as well and as I said what we're doing is we're taking the Bible here in larger sections we could actually take it a lot slower and do sort of passage by passage but we would spend a very 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 long time in 1 and 2 Samuel because there is lots of stuff in there which is really good for our hearts and soul but we're just going to take some larger chunks and uh, see it in that way. Uh, As I said, important that you actually do that pre-reading to help us on a Sunday. Okay, the nation of Israel is is in a bad way. We looked at that last week. It's sort of coming out of the period of the judges or at the end of that time. Uh, It's every man for himself. There was no king in Israel and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. So it's like every man for himself. Uh, There's a leadership crisis amongst them and they're failing in leadership in the spiritual direction. And also they're failing in leadership in a family direction as well on both fronts here in leading uh, in these areas. Despite all this failure, despite all this failure, God will provide. That's what Samuel's about, God providing. He'll provide a way for his people to move forward into restoration and redemption as they come back to God through his grace that he gives to them. That's where we're going to go today. Despite our many failures and we've all got failures in our life, despite our many failures, God gives us grace to return to him again and to be restored. Okay, so these opening chapters here, um, particularly we just read some sort of two through until uh, maybe the first couple of verses in chapter 7, is really uh, recounting the failures of Israel here coming out of the period of the Judges and it's paving the way forward for God to begin to carry out his plans and purposes here of salvation and rescue to restore Israel at this time. We pick up the story from 2 verse 12. We finished last week at 2 verse 11. Uh, Now where the author gives us a description of Hophni and Phineas, the sons of Eli. It's a really short, succinct verse here, but here's what he says in verse 12 of chapter 2. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. You wouldn't want that on your CV, would you? He is a worthless man. This is not good. Hophni and Phineas were meant to be the spiritual leaders amongst Israel along with their father Eli. They were the priesthood who were caring for the temple, actually priests before the people of Israel. But what are they? What does the author tell us here? They were worthless men. They had no spiritual backbone and they had no true deep convictions for the Lord. They simply lived for themselves, these people. And we're told there they did not know the Lord. Now they knew about the Lord from a head knowledge because they knew about the temple rituals and the temple sacrifices and that sort of perspective they knew about the Lord. They could do all that but they did not know the Lord truly in their heart. They had like a superficial knowledge of who God is, but not a heart knowledge. Their heart wasn't gripped by the beauty, the wonder and the majesty of God. For them, God was simply a means to an end. I want something, I'll use God to help me get what I want. That's all it was for these guys. Now, if you had read through verses 12 to 17 in chapter 2, here's what you would have seen they would have got up to. As people brought meat to the temple to be sacrificed, Hophni and Phinehas sent their sort of minions down or their servants down to forcibly take the meat from these people as they brought to the temple to be sacrificed. And then they would sit around and have a barbecue with that meat, taking the choice cuts of the lamb and the beef. Now, they weren't supposed to do that. If you read through there, you would have seen what they could do was the meat could be boiled first. They could actually shove a prong in there and whatever come up, that is what the priest could take but they weren't happy with that. They said, no, no, we actually want to get and short-circuit that process. We want to take the best stuff right from the outset. So straight away, here they are, they're holding the offerings of the Lord in contempt. It's a bit like they kicked these offerings around. They had no regard for these offerings. It's a bit like they kicked these offerings like shifting a dead dog off the road. They had no regard for the Lord truly in what was happening there. And if that's not bad enough, in the way they were just treating the offerings with contempt, in chapter 2, verse 22, these spiritual leaders in Hophni and uh, Phineas, were having sex with the ladies in the temple. So not only were they stealing the meat, they're just hooking up with any woman they can find in the temple as well. Another indication here of this failure and corruption in the spiritual leadership here in the nation at that particular time. Eli, the father, really was no better. He was aware of his son's sinful living. He was aware that this was taking place because he said, I've heard these reports, and he really did next to nothing to correct this or try and restore this or pull this back into order. In, In fact, in verse 29 of the chapter, we see actually Eli is coming along to the boys' barbecues with this stolen meat, and he's fattening himself on this stolen sacrifice. You read there towards him when he fell off the chair, he was a very heavy man. Obviously, he was feeding up very well on this lamb and beef that was coming through here. Now, in Luke in chapter 3, verse 13 as well, have a see here what happens. God declares judgment on Eli's household and we're shown here that he didn't restrain them. Have a look there in the last few words of verse 13. And he did not restrain them. He just stepped back. He sort of really just let them go and indulged themselves. Now, just to top off, as it were, this spiritual leadership of failure, have a look at what they do in chapter 4. They're actually battling with the Philistines at this particular time. That's the sort of the sworn enemy of Israel at that time, and they're losing badly, like big time. Thousands are being killed. So they come up with this ingenious plan, and their plan is to remove the ark, which is the the wooden box which holds the tablets, so the Ten Commandments and that. Their plan is to remove the ark out of the temple. We're going to take that with us to the battlefront, A bit like a good luck charm, if you know what I mean. Surely if we take this with us, something good is now going to happen. It's a bit like we've got this in the bag. God's here in the ark. He can't let us down. He's not going to let his ark get captured. We've got to win. That's never meant to leave the temple. It just shows there the failure of this spiritual leadership at this time. They're doing anything to achieve their own uh, ends. And God is just a means to achieve those ends all they think they can do is use God as a tool of power to achieve what they want to get organised in life, but in no way wanting to honour him as the Lord. Okay, that's spiritual leadership there at that particular time in Israel. It's failing basically on every front. This spiritual failure also rolls into the family failure as well. Eli seems weak, as it were, as he tries to correct his sons. He's no example for his sons in the sense of setting what it is to lead with conviction or lead with truth and honesty before the Lord. He should have actually removed them from the priesthood. That's what he should have done, even though his sons, he should have made that really hard call. And he didn't do that. He actually walked away from that. He was weak. We actually get this picture here of a father who has no true strong conviction for the Lord. He's not willing to make that hard call. It's a failure here on the front of being a father at this particular time. In fact, if you read through that, he's more content to feast at their barbecues, as it were, other than focus on the Lord. Give me a feast of beef and lamb rather than focusing on the Lord. Now, if you combine those two things together, you actually see failure all round. It's failure to see God as sovereign and holy and just and almighty, and they fail in a spiritual direction, and they fail also in a family direction as well. Following the story on, we see in chapter 2 that God decrees that he'll put to death these sons and bring down the house of Eli uh, for this failure. Now sometimes you can read that and say, well that sort of just takes your breath away when you read what's happening there. But it's really important to see here that God will not be dishonoured. God will not be willfully dishonoured and allow his glory to be trashed. That's not who God is. He won't do that. And this is what actually happens. The ark does go into battle. It is captured by the Philistine. Hophni and Phineas are both killed as they've sort of gone to the battlefront with their good luck charm in their mind. This news now comes back to Shiloh with his trembling heart, as as Dot uh, read for us there before, because he's worried about the ark. He, He didn't even have the conviction to say, no, boys, you're not taking the ark. That's got to stay in the temple. That shows again. Anyway, Eli falls off his chair, breaks his neck and he dies. Phineas' wife gives birth to a son with the shock of this news coming that the ark has been stolen and her husband's been killed and she dies during childbirth and, and she gets enough time to say, let's call the child Ichabod. What does Ichabod mean? It means the glory of the Lord has departed. It's a deplorable scene as we see the nation of Israel at this point. The glory of the Lord has departed. There's failure on every front. There's failure in the spiritual leadership and there's failure in the family leadership as well. The glory of the Lord has departed. There's no evident glory of God in the lives of these Israelites. What can God do with this rebellious, contentable nation that treats him like a magic genie just to give it a bit of a rub every now and again to see what God can do for us. What will God do with him? God's not finished with Israel. God isn't finished with Israel. They're a nation that is predestined to bring Jesus Christ through to be the Messiah, to be the Saviour. We can also see, despite this failure, we can see what God is doing in these chapters as well, graciously for the nation of Israel. In chapter 5, as we had read there before, uh, the Philistines have captured the ark and part of their victory dance or whatever they might be doing, celebration, they're going to bring it, the ark, that is before Dagon, their god, because Dagon's the one who's given them the power to overcome the uh, the Israelites. So it's now like this ark must bow before Dagon. This This is the God of Israel. He can't do it. So they... Put the ark in front of the uh, before Dagon, and they go to bed for the night. And they wake up the next day, and where do they find Dagon? He's face down in front of the ark. Now you've got to think God's got a sense of humor here when you think about this. It's a real mockery of Dagon, isn't it? Here's the all-powerful Dagon, who's helped the Philistines overcome the Israelites at this particular time. And now the Philistines have to go and actually help him up and just stand him back up again. Sort of makes, looks funny, doesn't it? Think, well, isn't he the all-powerful God that actually gave you victory? But now he's got to be helped to be stand back up at his feet again. Like, I think you've got to laugh a little bit when you begin to see what's happening with that. Well, they do. They stand him back up again. And they go to bed again that night. And they come to the temple the next morning. And what do they find? He's fallen over again. But now he's lost his head and he's lost his hands. God's trying to say something to them there. What's he doing? Well, the Israelites didn't know at that particular time, but they actually would have heard about it later on. He's showing the Israelites he doesn't need them to defeat the false gods of this world. Dagon, the all-powerful one, just falls flat on his face because he is no God at all. He's nothing but a statue. And he's showing them that God can tear down his enemies at will. Because he is omnipotent, he is all powerful. He's even shown that to the Philistines as well. There is no God like the Lord. And Israel, when you actually begin to understand what's taking place here, and Israel, you are his chosen people. Israel, wake up. I am the Lord, I defeat all my enemies. You aren't seeing that at this stage, but this is what God's revealing to them and showing them at this point in time. That's God's grace for them. He is all powerful and He is their God. The Lord's also doing this. He's preparing for Himself a leader who will lead Israel into holiness and reverence before the Lord as an act of grace towards them. Not like Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, but someone else, someone different. What's God doing? He's preparing Samuel as a prophet and a priest for them. Chapter 3 is all about God calling Samuel into his service on God's behalf. Have a look again at verse 1. It says here, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Well, the word of the Lord was rare because nobody wanted God's word, and when God's word did come, nobody wanted to obey God's word. So it was really spoken, it was really obeyed. What does God do? God raises up a man, though, who will reverently fear the Lord and follow him whatever the cost may be. God's preparing someone to be his representative at this time. And what does Samuel have? He had a really hard word to deliver to Eli. That Eli's house, Eli's family were under God's judgment, and Samuel had to deliver those tragic words to Eli. What did it say back there before? um, What I've got to say will make the ears of people tingle of what's going to happen. That's not an exciting word. That's a hard word. But this is the man that God has now raised up someone who will be faithful to declare those words. And we see Samuel summarized for us here in verses 19 to 21. It says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Bathsheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Here is another action of God's grace. What is it? A man is raised up to lead this nation back into covenant with a holy and sovereign God. Israel doesn't deserve this. God should just walk away from them and just leave them to their own devices. God doesn't do that. He comes back and he restores. God is gracious and he continues to extend his hand out to Israel to restore them and to call them back. Samuel is ultimately a forerunner of the greater priest and the greater prophet to come in Jesus. Look at what God says here in 1 Samuel 2, verse 35. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. This is now the judgment on Eli's house and what's going to happen beyond that. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. A beautiful picture of God's grace here as he raises up Samuel as the forerunner, as it were, to the greater priest and the greater prophet in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we think about this long story here, as we think about this long series of events that are working together, I see a couple of big failures here Um, on the church sometimes that the world can look on upon. Humanly speaking... I'm talking about the church now, over the last thousands of years, humanly speaking, we've had failure within spiritual leadership within the church. Many headlines over the years have uh, spoken to the abuse and even the immorality of church leaders. We've all seen those headlines. From pastors or church leaders who have stolen money and built these wealthy, extravagant lifestyles. Or church leaders or pastors who've been bullied and abused people for their own little power trips within church spiritual leadership. Or even this, church leaders who've exercised their power and their influence for sexual favours from others. It's been in spiritual leadership. What is it? It's a very, very sad indictment upon the church. It's no wonder, it's no wonder that sometimes the world looks on and mocks and ridicules the church when they see that. What other conclusion could they come to? It's terrible. Is it any wonder that the gospel seems powerless when that sort of is happening around us? We give it no credibility as a church when this spiritual leadership failure goes on in all those domains. What do we need? Well, we need to ask God to raise up spiritual leaders who have, who have a humble, reverent fear of God, who see him truly as the Lord Almighty, a deep conviction of his word, and are filled with the Holy Spirit to empower that word. We need to see spiritual leaders who will follow the Lord no matter what the cost, not leading for popularity, not leading to gain numbers, not leading to get a social media following, but leading for the praise of God's grace as he is magnified and as he is glorified. We need spiritual leaders who will act as servants and be prepared to suffer the ridicule of this world for the cause of Christ. Israel wasn't providing that at that time. But that's the sort of spiritual leaders we need. We need spiritual leaders in the power of the Holy Spirit who will not deviate from the word of God, who, who in love will deliver the whole counsel of God. They're the spiritual leaders that the church needs to raise up and need to develop. Not like Eli, Hophni or Phineas. And you see, when we find those leaders, when we have those leaders, we need to pray for them. We need to support them in every possible way as they lead. Now, now we don't do this prayer and support because they're somehow extra special about them. No, they're just like you or just like anybody else. But the God has simply placed them to be an instrument to shepherd the church. They need to be prayed for. They need to be supported in the challenges of that role. And have a guess what? They're not going to be perfect. They will make mistakes. They will get it wrong from time to time. They won't do it from an intentional perspective, but they will make mistakes. We still pray for them, we still support them in that moment. Let me address the men there for a moment, which doesn't mean, ladies, you can switch off. It's for all of us. We, say, we see failure in this passage as well for men who wouldn't stand up and lead as we should. The Western culture that we live in now, uh, the part that we have is is feminising men at a rapid rate. It's disastrous what's taking place. Western culture is feminising men at a rapid rate. We have what is called a council culture. You may have seen that maybe in some things you've read. It's the mindset here of council culture. of trying to rewrite history at every level that seems bent on demonising men as bullies and sexual monsters. It's called council culture. You've heard of the people tearing down statues in Hobart and all sorts of things? It's called council culture. They're trying to actually paint men as these bullies and sexual monsters. Now, some men have been that. Some men have been the culprits for our social evils. And I don't back away from the evils that some men have committed. And some of them are that. Some of them are bullies and some of them are sexual monsters. I'm not going to step away from that. Some. But not all men are like that. That's where council culture is just totally wrong. Totally wrong. A number of men are trying to be caring for the weaker sex in ladies. They are trying to love them and protect them and look after them and provide for them. A number are trying to do that. But at the same time, we live in this culture that is trying to feminise men. Trying to tear away their masculinity the way God has made them. And upon that influence and other things happening in our lives, men are actually succumbing to that and we are becoming weaker. Men have retreated from stepping up to lead in a masculine and an ungodly way in both the church and their families. This is what's happening in our culture and in the church as well. Why do we have a large amount of ladies who are willing to serve and to lead in the church while men are happy to hide in the shadows of the background. Why is that happening? Or, why in general when we look across the churches do we see lots of ladies volunteering and stepping up to see God's kingdom grow, while men are happy to sit passively in the pews and not really get involved? You might say, well, how do you know that, Todd? Well, this week I was a part of a Zoom call for the National Church Life Survey statistics and they actually show us here that you'll find twice as many women in a church than men and when it comes to leading through a church and leading in various positions, you'll find twice as many women leading in a church than what you will with men. Men seem to be happy to just sit back and be passive and not step up. There's a vacuum of leadership also in families as well. Why is it that many fathers are happy to let their wives lead the home spiritually? Why is that? Why is it the man is happy to sort of step back and that's, she can do that. She can sort of lead the, fa- the, fa- the family home in that way. You see, when a father doesn't lead the home spiritually, it basically becomes a fatherless home. A fatherless home. The very most important thing that a father can do is actually being stepped away from and allowing the mother to do that. It becomes a fatherless home. There's no example of dad loving and treasuring Jesus and communicating that to his family by his lifestyle. There's no example of of dad loving God's word and leading his family in prayer. He's not leading in that way. It's a fatherless home in many respects. And the flow and effect of that when that is taking place is not influencing the family towards the gospel. It's not showing the family this is the most important thing in my life. This is the most important thing in our family life. We're not being the fathers that Jesus has called us to be. You might be sitting in and say, gee that sounds a bit hard. Why are you speaking in this way? Well that's what's happening in Israel as we look at this passage. There's a leadership crisis there, both spiritually and in the family. It's falling apart. Eli's got no backbone. He's got no true conviction of God and he's letting his sons run wild. They would rather burgers, beer and sex other than the Lord. That's what's happening in Israel at that particular time. See, here is the most noble cause that a man can stand up and lead for. It is the most noble cause that a man can stand up and lead for. To take our place in God's kingdom, to rise up, to serve strongly in the gospel and to lead lovingly. Lead lovingly. That doesn't mean you've got to be bully. No way, shape or form do we want people to be bullies. Not at all. It means leading lovingly in a strong way. What will that require? that will require time and energy. You won't be able to do all the things you'd like to do because you've got other priorities that are more demanding and more critical in your life. It'll mean laying down your life for others. To lead in God's kingdom will require all the strength that you can muster. If you want to be a real man and a true man, you lead in God's kingdom. It'll take all the strength that you can pull together with God's help to do that. There is no greater cause than that. There is no greater cause than to to lead your family or be a part of the church, to lead that to an eternal glory with Christ. There is no greater cause. To do this, though, we need to follow the lead of someone else. We need to follow the lead of Jesus Christ. Look at what he said here as he led to the cross. He says this in Luke chapter 9. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Four, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. If you follow that lead, you will lead your families well. We will lead the church well. If we would do that, Jesus promises to give us all the power that we need to lead in that way. Ladies, what do we do? We pray for our men. We pray that they would step up to the plate and we pray that they would lead well. And I thank God that there are many men who do lead exceptionally well here in this church. We want to support them. We want to encourage them in this really difficult path to lead and lead well. Maybe you're sitting here now and you're feeling inadequate, weak, Maybe a failure like Eli and the others. You're thinking back on all those times you failed right now. Some of those are just being replayed in your mind. God is the God who provides, God is the God who restores, God is the God who leads us back to start again. I would encourage you if you're feeling that way now, if you're thinking of all the weakness and, and the inadequacies. Connect with another trusted friend, another man, and actually share that burden together and just see what the Lord will do in your lives together as you pray about that. Wanting to reaffirm your convictions in the gospel and reaffirm your convictions to lead in a loving way, in a strong way, that resists this culture and resists council culture where we live. Just see what the Lord will do. Let me close in in there just with a very famous quote from Dr David Limickston who I uh, heard a few weeks ago. David Livingstone was a Christian explorer exploring the interior of Africa for mission work around the 1860s. Tough work. He didn't have the modern cons that we have today of all sorts of motors and things. He had to actually go in there and just do really, really hard yards. The London Missionary Society telegrammed him and they said this, Tell us if there are any good roads to where you are and we'll send some more men to help. Well, David Livingston got that telegram. He thought about for a while. Then he replied with this. If you have men who will only come if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there's no road at all. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? That's the type of man that God's raising up in Samuel to lead Israel. These are the men that God wants to raise up today. These are the men that God wants to see in his church, not feminised men, strong men who help the church and their family to flourish in Christ and to see his kingdom grow. Let's pray. God we thank you today that you are precious. God we thank you today that you are loving. God we thank you today that you are holy. God we thank you today that you are compassionate. God we thank you today that you are loving. God we thank you today that you are strong. God we thank you today that you walk with us Every step of the way in life. And you are there with us, Lord, to fulfil your purposes and your plans. Lord, we see a deplorable situation in Israel, but we see a gracious God who is not departing from them. God, I pray, please renew the work of your Spirit and your word in our hearts. to be the men you've called us to be. To lead in the church and to lead in our families strongly, lovingly. And Lord, as, I, as you do that in our lives, I pray please help our families to flourish in the gospel. Please help this church to flourish in the gospel and may we be able to call many, many more people into this glorious kingdom that you've given to us do your work lord i pray but for those who are feeling weak and inadequate and as failures today lord i pray please let them look to you again and know that you're the god who always provides father thank you thank you for your work that you're doing with us and lord i ask that and i pray that in jesus name amen we trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.